Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Good, bad, or indifferent, the one thing that we crave is information and facts. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, on the BWI Daily Edition. Nate Bauer with me, and we have some new information coming out yesterday after we had just wrapped up the BWI live show talking about the offseason and how things had seemed to be at loggerheads with nothing happening. Penn State finally uh, sent out their spring uh, depth chart, not roster, excuse me, at gopsusports.com with its updated information and to reflect the team as it stands. And there were some players that were no longer listed there. That's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about their careers, their impact, and what Penn State has moving forward. So, Nate, let's get to it. How hey, you doing? I'm great. How are you? What's going on? I'm good. I'm I'm excited to find out where this conversation goes because I think on its surface there's a lot of formalities here. But yeah. in every formality, I think that there's some interesting nuggets to be had in if you dig deep enough. Yeah, well, to me, the most initial and immediate of the impacts here is that there's there's a little bit more clarity as to what Penn State's roster is going to look like next year. Not that these were, you know, surprises in any way. Uh, Certainly, I think that given the way that Penn State has handled its fifth year seniors who have an opportunity to come back or not for a sixth year, right? You, you couldn't just take the guys who walked on senior day 
and say, oh, well, because they walked, they're gone. They're moving on yep. with their career. Sean Clifford came back. Uh, PJ Mustafer came back, right? Like you have these examples of players who walked, but uh, Jonathan Sutherland walked, guys who still came back. And so, <laughs> and so it became this, uh, at least to the public eye, this, this mystery game of figuring out who is staying and who is going uh, based on who got carried off the field in social media images. Right. right. I mean, it, so it's just, it's just been this process over the last really month yeah. of having a final formal indicator of, Hey, uh, okay. Time's up. These guys have uh, have kind of moved on with their Penn State careers. So there's a bunch of names. If you want to see them, bluewhiteillustrated.com. Greg Pickle had it yesterday. You broke it down today in a little more depth as far as some of the stories behind these names. So if you want to get all of the names of the guys that have been removed from the roster, bluewhiteillustrated.com. And this is a perfect time to mention, sign up for just a dollar. 12 months of access so you can get all the inside scoop, including... Maybe some of Penn State's transfer portal activity. Maybe some information about what you want to know about your favorite recruits. Maybe some inside information on my analysis on some of the guys out there that you need to know. One dollar gets you access to all of that stuff, and you can get it right now. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get to the, the biggest name on the list and that would be Mike Miranda. Uh Penn yep. State had uh not the best year on the offensive line and Miranda was at the center, no pun intended, but pun intended a lot of a lot of that. So, he's a guy you focused a lot on today. What were your thoughts about Mike Miranda officially moving on from Penn State and his career? Yeah, I, I, the thing that stands out about him to me is not so much his play this year, but just the breadth of his career. He just, he played a lot. Uh, you know, I, I think that certainly the way that fans probably perceive him moving on from the program is, you know, uh, indifferent isn't the word, but I'm just saying it's not, it wouldn't make a big splash, right? Either way, not the way that Rashid Walker not coming back for an extra year did. Yeah. Um, but, but, I don't think that it's insignificant in the sense that he 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 was a mainstay. Um, Forty nine games played, as you have there. the The only game that he didn't play in, uh, based on the PFF stats, right? Uh, he wasn't a starter as a freshman, um, as a redshirt freshman, I should say, in two thousand eighteen, but played in every game. He played in thirteen games yep. in two thousand nineteen. He played in every game and started eight. He started every game last season, so nine games last season. And then he started and played in every game this season, except for the Rutgers game, which yep. was you know, the notorious flu game. So, look, we can, and I think that you will, provide some insight into you know, what his maybe his strengths and weaknesses were on the field this season, but it, it's really undeniable that Penn State and its coaching staff felt he was the best option that they had, right? Yeah. In terms of whether it's center or guard, you know, what have you, I think that there is open and legitimate reason for debate there. But 
still, uh, when they break it down, right, Phil Troutwine says the best five. It's not yeah. necessarily that you're pegged to one position. It's getting the five best on the field. He was considered one of the five best on the field throughout the season. Yeah, so I think that's that's definitely significant. And he had earned the trust of of the coaching staff early on and then continued that throughout his career. So his it's too bad is how I would say it for him and for Eric Wilson and for Juice Scruggs, who each individually were not terrible in 2021. And each of them had their own unique strengths. The problem was they're all kind of the same. And this is this is my biggest takeaway. What I learned from this past season is if you have too much of the same next to each other on the offensive line, unless those guys are very good and they're all excellent at that one thing, and then you can amplify with that strength, you tend to need guys of varying literal strength if you're going to go physical size and strength to, to keep everyone afloat. And Miranda at his best, was a good guard. Not not an elite player, but he executed his assignments well, and he was able to hold up his end of the bargain, I would say is the best way to put it. Better pass protector than he was run blocker, and you could say that about Eric Wilson and Juice Scruggs, so you don't have anybody out there that was helping, literally in blocking, helping the other guy move somebody off the ball. If, you, if things had been different and... You know, and then we go back to the what if machine of if Wormley plays and he's that big physical guy, does that change how Mike Miranda plays? Does that change how Rasheed Walker plays? Because sure. that combination up front turned out to be one that didn't work well together. But and and I think clearly the move to center did not help Miranda, despite the fact that he was the veteran player that understand the protections, understood the schemes, was the most reliable to call the plays, at least early in the season. And that's why he moved there. But clearly, early in his career, he was better at guard than he was at center. And it's just a tough way for a guy who played, I thought, good football at one point to end on such a poor, sour note with the injuries and the ineffectiveness. What What was your take on the switch when they when they made it for the Outback Bowl? I mean, was there anything that stood out about oh, yeah. specifically Juice at center uh, and, and Mike over at guard? Well, he I that was, they had experimented with that, I think, at the in the uh, Illinois game, where they had made that switch in the Illinois game to see if they could get something going on the ground. And it's the fourth quarter of the game against Illinois, but there were more positive returns in the run game then than there have been all game long. That can yep. be isolated incidents or that can be the start of a trend. When he went out against Michigan, and I'm talking about Mike Miranda, he went out against Michigan and Juice Scruggs came in at center, there was some positive movement there as well. Again, just the combination didn't seem to work. Of two yeah. guys that were not power players next to each other, so when you have Mike Miranda engaging and then Juice Scruggs down blocking an inside zone, there's no movement there. There was no initial movement. There was no secondary movement. It was right. just a stalemate of two guys trying to technically block a guy, and it just wasn't working. When they got different people in there, the problem was the guy you put in was Bryce Effner, 6'5", 305, very much the same thing. Maybe yeah. a little bit more tenacious, maybe a little more pop for his size, but that's about it. Like they're, They all were kind of the same. Yeah. Uh, 
it didn't work well in the bowl game, but they didn't have a lot of opportunities, truthfully. So right. they didn't run to the interior a whole lot. And when those guys were next to each other, I do think it was intentional that Juice Scruggs was played at center because that's his position moving forward. They th- That is a signal of what I think Penn State wants with their lineup, kind of the, the starting position for next year. I, I also think it, it is worth noting, and, and I can't pinpoint exactly when it happened, but Miranda was also pretty obviously hurt in the last two-thirds of the season. I, again, I don't want to put a, uh, an exact date on it, but um, you know, I, I think that <laughs> the way that Penn State was positioned this season, uh, given some of the lack of depth in terms of players, and this was all over the field. I mean, certainly quarterback was most notable, but uh, on the offensive line as well, right? They, they just didn't have a lot of options uh, to work with. And so when when you have a guy in Miranda who is still the best option, um, even though playing through an injury, you know, uh, it occasionally frustrates me on behalf of players that Penn State's policy under James Franklin is to to avoid any and all injury talk when in some cases I think it would provide a perspective to yeah. to to bail these guys out a little bit right like I mean, yeah. if you if, you, if uh, hey he, he, you, you don't have to say exactly what the ailment is but Mike Miranda's shoulder popped out or Mike Miranda is dealing with an elbow thing, you know, whatever it is, it it can, it can help to, um, you know, just provide a little bit more perspective and give people the opportunity to, to say, Oh, well, Hey, it's, it's not, um, it's not ideal. And certainly the performance wasn't up to the level that Penn state fans are hoping for, but also, Oh, we understand why. Yeah. We get it. So there's, there, I think initially there's a tactical advantage, but once you play a football game, it's on tape and everyone gets the same everyone gets the same video to watch. So if you see a guy that has a soft right shoulder and is not blocking as effectively that area, unless you're playing against somebody who is not very aware, they're going to yep. key on that. They're going to they're going to notice that of okay, where did they give up pressure? How did it happen? That's different. What's going on there? So just to give you some perspective about uh, the end of the season, obviously he missed the, the game against Rutgers, but he yeah. gave up three pressures against Michigan and didn't finish the game, only 19 snaps. That is where he was hurt. He did not finish that uh, half. So if something happened in the Maryland game before, that would be an indicator that he was not healthy in that Michigan game. Misses, uh, misses the Rutgers game, comes back and plays in the Michigan State game in the snow. It's just a different animal. Like, that was just a different animal. And then finally in the Arkansas game, struggled, gave up uh, two pressures on, you know, playing right guard, giving up stunts and and more of that on blitzes and, and, you know, pressures that shouldn't have been given up from a mental aspect. But playing a different position than he played all season long. So it's just kind of a frustrating end of the season. Yeah. It's it. I mean, it. you know, look, we're we're looking at PFF numbers and it's precipitous. Right. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it actually is is curious. It goes from literally his best game of the season was yep. at Maryland as graded by PFF uh, to uh, not even arguably the worst game that he had against Michigan in terms of pass blocking. Yep. So, you know, it just uh, when that kind of stuff happens, uh, understanding whether or not they're going to talk about it, it, it is almost 
not relevant. It's, yep. hey, this is clearly something has happened. <laughs> Clear, clearly the, uh, something has changed from the norm, even if the norm is eh, average to go yep. from average to bad and a detriment, uh, you know, shows that something changed. What changed during the season was and this is this is when we saw and you and I had the conversation about can Penn State how far can Penn State go playing like this and you pointed out the margin is razor thin here because they have a very narrow path to victory and it was that unit up front pass protecting and playing at that level that they did against Auburn and they did against uh early in the season uh after the after the Wisconsin game but that was really an oasis in a sea of problems along the offensive line in pass protection because that's when they were at their best is when they could protect Sean Clifford and he could deliver the ball in a rhythm offense down the field and once that rhythm was disrupted by injury or by otherwise the season just went off the rails and it's and it's compounded by the fact that Sean Clifford wasn't mobile by that point, right? Like, so it's it's not just it's not just that the pass protection faltered; it's that you, there was no eraser for that. There was no you couldn't make up for the fact that pass protection got worse. Yeah, uh, because you had a quarterback who you know very clearly was not uh, at the health that he had been to start the season, where. Uh, again, if if Sean Clifford had been as healthy in week 10 or week 11 as he was in week three, then some of those problems on the offensive line could have been alleviated. Yeah. I, I know that the, the conversation around Sean Clifford is a circular one, and he's coming back next year. I would just love the opportunity to like, did the injury affect you mentally? Because it seemed like Sean Clifford was winning from the pocket early in the season. And there were still opportunities to do that. And watching the film, there were still throws to be made. But he was a percentage less effective in the pocket. And then, you know, you add on the fact that he wasn't going to run as much and break the pocket and go downfield. Because he did break the pocket, but he was lateral breaking the pocket, not aggressively downfield gaining yards in those situations. And that was where he they were putting teams in a bind is if you play any sort of man coverage against uh, Sean Clifford, he is going to beat your spy and run for 10, 15, 20 yards if he can get there. And and those plays dried up, those kind of chunk plays that are in between run and pass. And, and it, it led to the, I think, putting the offense in more of a box as the season went on. Another guy I want to talk about. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That is just curious from the, the total perspective of his time at Penn State is A.J. Litton, who is also not on the roster, who has another year of eligibility, coming from Florida State, here for one year, and kind of for a cup of coffee. Like This is yeah. the joke of the, the transfer portal makes players coaches where you've seen Penn State assistant coaches that have been here for about as long as AJ Litton was last year. What were your yeah. thoughts on the whole thing with Litton? 
Yeah, I mean, I thought he was a little bit of a curious addition when he came in in the first place, right? Yeah. I mean, most most of the transfer portal movement had stopped by then. It was the summer, June or July, um, you know. And hey, here's a guy who who wanted to come play at Penn State, right? I mean, it, it after having been cut at Florida State, right? So Penn State certainly felt that there was uh, a chance worth taking. They've done this before. I mean, there, there have been guys, um, you know, uh, CJ Holmes was was a kid who it didn't work out at Notre Dame and just kind of landed at Penn State. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I certainly thought that the way that shot right there, <laughs> right? Like, yep. I, I mean, he had two excellent play like they were penalized but excellent plays uh as a gunner on penn state's punk coverage teams so you know i think that he carved out a role for himself there he never really found the field with any consistency as a cornerback but certainly i think that there was this underlying trajectory that okay you you carve out a role for yourself you do it really well you establish yourself you find some footing and then maybe those opportunities will come and so yeah for that to not have happened you know look sometimes these things don't don't work out right i mean it's yeah. it's there there is more involved in being a college football player than Simply being good at football. Yeah. <laughs> there or there simply are a lot having, of other things that have to happen. Simply having a skill that others don't. And AJ Litton was and is fast. He is a yep. really fast. I don't remember if he was a five star corner or a very high four star at this point, but he had a high pedigree coming into Florida State, into their man system, where they, they need athletes on the edge to play what they did at Florida State uh, under the, the previous coaching staff. And so that's desirable. You'll take a flyer on speed, especially if you have an extra uh, scholarship to give out. But this is really what happened was he had two defensive snaps all season long. So he came in and did not win a starting job or rotational role on the boundary. And then uh, Daquan Hardy, where I thought there was an opportunity just because of Daquan's size that maybe they would want a guy that can play a little bit better against the run because there's no question that that uh, Hardy was one of the better coverage players on their team in 2020, but it never, uh, literally never materialized for anybody. Not Johnny Dixon, not Litton, uh, and he was a boundary corner at Florida State. He, I never saw him even in practice lineup in the slot, so there really wasn't there wasn't any room in the inn at the at the yeah. cornerback position. This is a guy that came to see and to find playing time. And he found a role on special teams, which is where he was at Florida state. So kind of makes sense there that he moved on. But the, the curious, was that that graphic him disappearing? Did it become transparent? Because yes, he's in the place, man, you are a genius. Yes. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I think about this stuff, man. Like this is a night, unless it's a typo, it's intentional on the show. It's like, it's like he, was raptured to heaven. Just goodbye. <laughs> uh, who's another guy on this list that piques your interest as far as, you know, kind of the the uh, debrief on their career at this point? Cam Sullivan Brown, for sure. Uh, mostly because he was the last target in a last-ditch effort to win that Michigan game, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I mean, this is, this is not a... 
an insignificant player in terms of what Penn State had hoped for him. It, it just, it just, for one reason or another, again, injuries that weren't really discussed and weren't detailed in full that just derailed right the the path for for this kid i mean he he certainly there was some buzz about him in in the wake of 2019 right um you know when kj ham was it kj hamler uh 2018 no 2019 excuse me <laughs> there was there was a void right like people didn't yeah. know there wasn't necessarily an, an obvious successor uh, outside of what people had hoped for Jahan Dotson. And so Jahan Dotson, yeah, had some some skill and there was some potential there, but it, it wasn't really known if he would step into that role and be the star that obviously he, he became. And so part of that uh, not really sure, but hey, there is uh, a, an open competition here for someone to step to the forefront. Cam Sullivan Brown was very much a part of that. Yeah, he was very much a part of that equation. And so, yeah, going going through the pre right, 2020 was such a mess uh, in terms of preseason camp getting started and then stopped with COVID. And then eventually they finally get to the season on October 24th in Indiana. And by that point, Cam Sullivan Brown was really no longer part of the equation. Yeah. He, he just, he, he wasn't able to, the, the buzz that had existed for him in the preseason just really wasn't there anymore. And coinciding with that, was the ascent of Parker Washington and uh, Keandre Lambert Smith, right? Those As two guys, freshmen. Kind of, yep, correct. Kind of stepped into that void, and so he just, he just, he just kind of disappeared. He just f- faded into the background, and obviously, this past season, none of that really changed. Yep. And so this is why I'm always a little bit hesitant when I when we're talking about the guys we should know and we ask James Franklin or we ask some of the people that get to be at practice, like who's somebody we should know. And then we hear Cam Sullivan Brown for three straight years. And then once we get to talk to to Cam and you realize why people would root for this guy, super humble, really just like you could, you could hear how the kindness in his voice, you know, like not to make snap judgments about people in, in one or two conversations, but you can see the way he held himself. You would, you would want that guy to succeed. Also, if you don't have a receiver and he's the one filling that void and he's not terrible at it, then you're going to say, okay, look at this. That's our guy. And then you realize it's because you didn't have a receiver. And that guy was just the guy that was there. That's why I was very hesitant until we actually saw Aldo Fashanu uh, play in the bowl game because that was the guy we heard about all season long of Olu's the guy. He is super athletic. He's everything you want. He's the next left tackle. You know, I know you're watching Landon Tangwall play the last couple weeks, but really it's Fashanu that's going to be the guy going forward. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it because yeah. same thing with Sal Wormley going into next year. I know he won the starting job, but that's nice to say at this point when we've literally never seen him play football. And, you know, Cam Sullivan Brown had his breakout year coming for three straight years. I made that joke before. I feel bad for him because the injuries are a huge part of it, but it's to me it's a cautionary tale kind of the way, and the guy that, that leaps out to me is Daniel George of a guy who had a lot of early run, 
a lot of potential and things for one reason or another just didn't work out. And it's just too bad when, when you see guys like that and guys like Cam Sullivan Brown or even I'll throw Noah Kane in there of, yep. you know, they're good guys. You know, they're working hard. You, it's just for some reason it's not working. And yep. it's just you get to this point and where they're, they're leaving the program and you don't know. And this is my next thing is what's the next step? Because it's not like previously before COVID where we knew like, okay, they're moving on. They're going to go to the, you know, their pro day. Maybe they'll be undrafted in camps in the NFL, but like their time is done. Now there are guys, they're not in the portal. There was no official announcement. They're in the portal. What's the next step for these guys? Are they going to the NFL or this is unresolved from their perspective? It feels sure. I, I do. I don't think that it's, um, you know, necessarily a, it happens, it doesn't have to happen within a certain window in terms of the portal, right? Uh, needs that don't exist currently could exist in the spring while some of these guys figure that stuff out. I mean, I, I do think that certainly for the player, you know, whether Mike Miranda falls under that or not, I'm not sure, but Cam Sullivan Brown, I think probably does in terms mm-hmm. of, hey, getting healthy, finding a way to assert himself and and maybe that's maybe that's a possibility i mean i i know in his last media availability uh at penn state it was late in the season i think it was um maybe ahead of that maryland game yeah he he, he just said that he wasn't sure right i mean he, he wasn't sure what was next for him whether it was coming back or moving on yeah. uh, completing his career in football or move you know what have you but I, I mean, I, I do think that. Look, I I had to bring it up. I had to find it. He, his his career high in catches was the game at Maryland in 2019. They they won fairly easily. Things were breezing, and he was a center of that effort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, like to me, there's this deep in a bad way, irony that his best game was really his last game. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, he was, he was, he was very, very much a, a part of that offense and someone who was growing and developing into that role. And he just, he just never recovered. He, he never, never really came back from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt I, this total random aside, I felt bad for him when we, when we were talking to him I, either before or after that Maryland game where you know, some guys don't like talking about themselves, so they won't answer questions very well about themselves. But I, he was getting all kinds of questions about Parker Washington, about yeah. Liam Clifford, about Harrison yeah. Wallace, about like he was their grandfather. And I was like, I just, I in the moment, I was like, he's also a football player that wants to exhibit his skills, and we're sure. treating him like an assistant coach in this situation. But it's merited, you know. Like, what, what, what do we know about Cam Sullivan Brown? And hopefully, another team will see all of those things if he does continue his career and he has the opportunity to go out and do that. It's just. It's it's funny how some of these things end up, and I, I don't mean funny in in a funny way. Uh, is there right. anybody else on on this uh, list of players moving on that you think maybe it's a what could have been or a curiosity that was never sated for you? Sure, for, uh, Fred Hansard, I, I think w- would would fit the bill. You you really have a 
a number of these players who share some similarities in terms of their trajectories where they made an impact. I mean, look at the PFF, the snap, the snap counts, like uh, Cam Sullivan Brown's highest snap count until this season was his redshirt freshman year in 2018. Yeah. Uh, Fred Hansard is very much along those lines. I don't have the number right in front of me, but he was a big presence during uh, his redshirt freshman season. And as the years went along, he just kind of dissipated um, and and didn't really materialize in he, terms of what his impact on the team was. He's one guy you could see it um, as far as the toll that injuries had on him physically because he was a guy that was big. Penn State has yep. not had a ton of big defensive tackles and had that one technique sort of body. And then after he got injured, you just saw the stiffness and the the lack of mobility that was there before in his lower body that clearly prevented him from being the guy that he was originally. Because you're right, that that is another guy who who really had a different trajectory on his career until that moment and I'm, I'm pulling it up right now in it's gotta be 2018 right 2000 2018 he had 100 snaps yep. right so i mean that's as a redshirt freshman was was a part of the equation for sean spencer at the time and and that rotation of of defensive tackles yeah right like i mean it's not it's not nothing to work yourself into what at Penn State is typically a five-man group. And so, right, as it, at that young age, he was able to do that. But it just uh, 196 in 2019, 119 in 2020, 33 reps in 2021 for yep. him. Yep. Uh, in, just, a season, in a season where they needed help at defensive tackle, but he just uh, – I think it was pretty clear that he, he couldn't physically help the team, but he was there to be a part of the team. Yep. Yep. Hundred percent, and to the to the point where, really, the only time that he was talked about this season was the the sideline shove of being mistaken for Rashid Walker. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. This has so. been a bummer of an episode. I'm just gonna say it. Like this is because we're talking about all these guys moving on from football who didn't have don't have an obvious home going forward and i really hope yep. they find one it's yep. just it's it's all the what could have been all the missed opportunities it's it's kind of a bummer so hopefully There's... find a silver li- let's end with find a silver lining for me nate let's 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 have a positive send off into the into the rest of the day there there has never been an unkind word said about the character of the guys who we're talking about largely yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, and so I, I think that there is there's this underside to to college football. Where, and we all know the stats. Right. What is it? One percent of college football players, two percent, something like that, end up having an NFL career of more than a couple of years or an NFL career at all. Right. I mean, yep. it's just you're, you're talking about this numbers game of uh, carrying 125 players in college football that dwindles down to what is it 55 65 in the NFL yeah. right where where it just that's the reality is most most college football players don't have a future in the game this is where the road stops and 
there's more to it than simply being able to play, right? I mean, we, we as a, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to go down this path, but like as a culture, right? We just, it, there's a churn to it. It's just, okay, well, yep. on to the next one. There, we're, we're all excited about the next great one, but look, they, they will go on to live good lives, healthy lives, and be productive in society. And thanks for your contribution and they'll move on. You almost got me started on on the construct of college football, and and <laughs> I don't want to go to because that's another bummer conversation. So you're absolutely right. Uh, that'll do it today. But before, that's why they that's why they get their degrees. That's why yeah. they're, they're student athletes, right? I mean, you know, they're, they're they're for as cynical as I am about mm-hmm. the nature of big time college football being associated with higher academia that that's why that's why is is that this doesn't work out as a career for the overwhelming majority of these players there is a built-in construct to overturn the players at the positions every four to now six years so it it's it that is that is the reality of it Uh, i was having this conversation with one of our board members uh on on the bwi message board and it is it has changed so it used to be, and even I remember as a kid thinking this of like college football is really high school part two. You're doing everything at a higher level. And in the span of, I think, our lifetime, that has changed probably at a point where you are getting people that get whiplash from how quickly this has changed from being high school part two to NFL part one. And yeah. it is absolutely locked in as that right now. But it, it, it has dramatically changed. And, and hopefully for these players that this is the reality, as NIL becomes a thing, they can get more out of the situation, both financially and then, you know, from an education on a business perspective. Right. I, I think there's also something to be said. I, I don't know that it's at the forefront of our thought right now, but finishing a career in college football anymore in one place is is going to become a rarity right yeah. i mean you have so many people who when they feel as though they haven't met their goals or their aims within the first really 2 years on campus they're they're going to seek another another landing spot, right? I mean, the transfer portal has made that so prevalent, and so to have five year careers where maybe it doesn't work out, maybe it does work out, but you get a degree from your university, you're considered a an integral part of the team, right? Whether whether that's on the field or not, it still speaks to how they're perceived within the program at this point. Because look, again, let's be honest, these are not one-way conversations it is yeah. not a as simple as a player saying yeah i'm, I'm just going to stay no it's you filter through you filter through if, if if there's no value to the organization and so yeah i, I look that, that's a positive that's got to count that's something yeah yeah there it is. <laughs> that is it today for the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, the ever-insightful Nate Bauer with us today. Thank you for coming on the show. Always appreciate having you. Gets us through Thanks these so much uh, for me. Gets yeah. us through these days. So we'll nine be months, back. Nine months to go. <laughs> we will be back tomorrow. Thanks for stopping by.
madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-427 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.